I just want to let you know, Amit, as we get ready to record this podcast, that you are not the most famous person in my orbit tonight. Because about 10 blocks from where we're recording this podcast is Harry Styles, former One Direction member, holding a concert at River Plate to what sound like thousands of teenage girls who are screaming very loudly. More popular in Buenos Aires tonight, Harry Styles or uh, Lionel Messi? It's Lionel Messi, I mean. Oh, it's okay. Lionel Messi. Okay, so. It's not even close. It's not even close after what happened today. You think that this man is going to put the whole team on his back for the second time in a tournament? And they're going to want Harry Styles over him? It was actually pretty funny. Speaking of Harry Styles, it appears as though they put the game on the big screens as the people were filing into the stadium, you know, getting into the, the pit. And uh, Harry Styles came out and celebrated the Argentina win to a lot of teenage girl screams. So, yeah. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. This is not a Harry Styles fan show. I'm Austin Miller. He's a mid Malik. If it goes, you know, Northwestern women's basketball field trip day style and there's just random screams in the background, I'm just explaining to you where those are coming from. I mean, the knockout round is here. I'm really happy. You, unfortunately, are not. No, I am not. Uh, the U.S. lost to the Netherlands, and it was a bummer, but I'm okay Obviously, I thought the U.S. could have gone through. The heartbreak was neutered a bit by the way the game went, which we can talk about. Um, so, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. But right. I think to start, let's just start with this. We told everyone yeah. the bell curve outcome. This, yeah. this Just starting with the U.S. men's national team. I don't know if we're going first with them, but the bell curve outcome was get through the group and get to the round of 16 and lose likely to the Netherlands. And that's what happened. Um it was they, almost too yeah. easy to predict. Yeah, they drew England and they didn't lose to England. That was the only that was the only miss on our bell curve result for the U.S. Right. Team. We'll get to them in a little bit. Let's talk winners first. Argentina two, Australia one. Lionel Messi emit. You just have this sense that you're just witnessing greatness, right? And we talked about this on a podcast a couple of days back, where we're in this era of the end of these legends in various sports and the communal gathering to watch them kind of finish their careers. I don't think that this is Lionel Messi's last world cup. I think he can absolutely hang on until 2026 and play a role for Argentina, but this certainly feels like it's his last world cup as a truly elite player. And man, he's putting on a show. I think you said it well, like it's one thing to be near his prime at his prime you know, offensively, he's great. Defensively, who cares? But it's not just that he's... No, but it's not just that he's good, right? It's not that he's a useful player. He is their best player. Yeah. He is their queen on the chessboard, their ace in the hole. Yeah. He's still doing messianic in pun and in Bible forms of the word. Like, it's yeah. insane what he's doing. Uh, You said he saved them for another game. And... Would Argentina have maybe have gotten a goal if he didn't score that first one? Maybe, but he's scoring super low XG chances. He's creating. He, in the second half, he was the one-man creator funneling all those chances to Lautaro. But again, the, the finish is exquisite. The whole play is exquisite. And someone said in, our, in one of our group chats, like, where is he? Is he on the field? Is he yeah. on the field? It's like, it doesn't matter. He needs one moment. For your defense to not even shut off. Australia did nothing wrong on that first goal. It was just recycle, boom, pass in. 
the touch from Otamendi, great. Easiest assist Nicholas Otamendi will have in his footballing career. A maybe intentional touch, maybe just a bad control, and then he just got out of the way. He was like, I can't do anything better than what this guy's going to do, so I'm just going to step away and let him dirk his magic. And he just springs this shot, and it kind of catches everybody by surprise. Maybe Matthew Ryan, the Australia goalkeeper, is screened. And up to that point, Australia had done a pretty good job of limiting Argentina. They were mucking up the game. There wasn't a lot of space. But when you have a player that is this good, that is this transcendent, that is this talented, it is one moment. And he has never had moments like these for Argentina this consistently. He's never been able to play this free for Argentina. And it's just incredible what he's done so far this World Cup. And it's so easy to say, like, oh, Argentina are just getting bailed out by Messi. And, like, okay, yeah, but that's the point of having Messi. They're not getting bailed out by some sub-tier player who's performing out of his... No, they're getting bailed out by the greatest player of all time doing greatest player of all time things. And that is just impressive to watch, and it just blows you away every single time. And, yeah, it's insane. I'm with you, and this is the best team they've put around him. Yeah. So... They are equipped to defend fine. They're equipped to control the game. And they're equipped to get him in his best spots. That's what it is, right? Because every team now knows the game plan. If you can deny space around the box, around the final third, deny the midfield, make him go be deeper to get the ball, then he's less effective. If he can get the ball in that pocket of area, right outside the box, he is lethal. And... Australia couldn't really stop him on that goal. Yeah. Like, what were they supposed to do? It was a set piece. He whipped in. It bounced out to him. He starts the play by passing it backwards, and it's a really good ball into Otamendi. And he, that's the genius of him is the run, right? Yeah. He's sprinting in. His defender can't catch him because of all the momentum he takes. And he reads Otamendi's touch better than Otamendi read it, <laughs> yeah. as yeah. you talked about. Yeah. And just in a flash, right, he finishes like, it was so fast. It was, again, Messi at his best doing all those little things that makes him good. It's yeah. what you said. We're all watching him be great. And he's been great for 15 years. Yeah. He's, like, stupid how good he's been. But, like, it's nice that we're all watching him do it on the stage, right? He had Copa America where they won. But he yeah. wasn't, like, this good, right? He's really... He, he's really like turned back the clock, not in his athleticism or his performance. His performance is always good, but just in like his understanding of the moment. And obviously goals are goals. So he's... well, like this was his first goal in a world cup knockout match, right? We right. haven't necessarily seen it on this stage before I've seen it on every other stage that has ever existed in the game of football, other than the Copa Libertadores. I might add, we're looking for you, Messi. We're waiting. We're coming. Don't go to is Miami. He, don't go to Miami. After Miami? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Side note. If the whole like Messi, Suarez, Busquets, whoever super team comes out, that team's getting run in the MLS's Eastern Conference. Those dudes are not going to want to run for 34 games a year. No, especially not in Miami. Those home no. games outdoors yeah. is, is no. bad. Can okay. we get them an invite to, yeah. to the Libertadores? Yeah. I think we can make it happen. I think we yeah, can okay. make it happen. Um and then Argentina, after that, I thought played a really good game in that they kept the pressure up and they forced Australia to try and play through a press and it would went badly. 
Matthew Ryan with a poor touch and an underratedly good finish from Julian Alvarez for Argentina's second goal. In that a lot of times you'll see a goalkeeper lose possession in a position like that. And before the attacker can kind of control himself, get squared and finish, enough defenders have scrambled back in that they make it so that you can't score. And Alvarez didn't let that happen because basically the second Ryan lost the ball, he was kicking it into the back of the net. An understatedly good finish for Argentina second here. Right. He put it into an empty net, but you're spot on on the degree of difficulty of that. Other strikers would not. And it's a weird angle, but he has the eyes in the back of his head or just the, the field awareness to know this guy just slipped up. I need to get this on goal. It doesn't matter how I do it. Right. Very good finish. And that's what Alvarez does. He's got four goals, right? Yep. At at this turn three. We'll count. We'll count. We'll count. It doesn't matter. He's been good for them. Yes. Yes. He has been good for them regardless, but it's because he does slightly more of the number nine things than Lautaro Martinez, who did not have a good day. He did not have a good day. And I look, when you watch Lautaro Martinez at Inter Milan, he's a great striker. Like it's no one, no none of us, no one watching is going to tell you that he's bad. But he's not on right now, and the way that Argentina play and the way opponents are playing them, Alvarez is the perfect guy. This is an experienced striker's finish. Like yeah, it's not. It's like yeah, you you, you said it. It could be really too. Thank you. Yes. Uh, it could be a lot harder to do that. I saw a stat. Maybe it's four in his last six for yeah. Argentina. Might be what it was. But, yeah, very good finish. And I'm with you that Argentina were very good uh, after they, they led in this game. They understood what that Australia was dangerous, but also knew that they would have invited more pressure by just sitting back. So they kept their line high. They they tightened they, the field, compressed the field, made Australia uncomfortable. And, yes, Australia scored, which we can talk about next, which was... Yeah. Kind Deflection. of yeah, I mean, yeah, it happens. that's what happens. And we said yesterday, Australia somehow are good value for a goal. We didn't know how it was going to happen. It's what they did. Scored and all four of their games in this world. Yeah, Cup. even against France, like Australia, yeah. and we'll, we'll we'll talk about Australia in a little bit. But that's why the second goal mattered, and that's why Argentina not being satisfied with one mattered. And then, yes, when Australia was down two one, they made a very good go of it, and uh, yeah. Argentina had to scramble with two particularly brilliant individual defensive moments. So firstly, Argentina had a chance to kill this off by going up 3-1. And that's there where the Lautaro chances hurt because he should have finished this game off. He had a couple of great chances. I almost thought Messi was a bit too selfless. Like there was a play where it was like, dude, just take it yourself. Like I understand the whole mindset and he wanted to get Lautaro going, get him in the game and that. But at some point it's like, you know, just, just take the shot yourself. And then as you said, when you have a team that is selling out as much as Australia are, you have to kill them off on the counter because they're going to give you that opportunity, but they're putting enough numbers forward that they can trouble you. And that's what they did. Great defensive tackle, last ditch effort from Lissandro Martinez. That was the first of the big plays. And then at the death, pretty much the last play of the game, Australia brought on their super talented, super young player, Garen Kuhl, who I think is a name that we're going to hear a lot of going forward. Like this was his first kind of big World Cup moment. 
and the ball spills to him and he's got this great chance. And Debu Martinez comes off his line, cuts down the angle and makes a save that prevents this match from going to extra time and all of the heebie-jeebies that could come with that. A really, really good save. And it might be the first one that Debu Martinez has had to make in this tournament, but when he had to make it, he made it. Yeah, you're right in many ways there because Kowal gets in a good spot, but the it, on first watch in real time, it's like, oh, he didn't really have a great look at it. Like, he just fired off. He had to get off quick, but Martinez was there. But then in slow-mo, it's like the reading of the play from Dibu Martinez. He gets out early to cut down the angle, which makes the save easier. But the save itself, he is, like, splayed. Yeah. And he's really reading that ball. Very tough. Very tough save to execute. Not every goalkeeper can do that. And, yeah, that's... That's part of this Argentina squad being worth it, right? They We talked about the start of this tournament with Argentina, like the multiple reasons why we like them, and it's the talent overall is, individual, is, is strong individually. It's the will to play. But these are two like individual defensive moments of just savvy, everything's on the line, like sacrificing your body. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not saying other teams can't do this or that they won't or didn't, but it, they were truly remarkable game saving yeah. plays and Argentina shouldn't have needed them, but it does like they made them when they counted. And yeah, I, I think, do you want to talk about Argentina going forward or Australia? Yeah, yeah let's this? do that. Let's do that. So I think it's super interesting because Argentina has now given up three goals at this tournament and none of the three goals were on good chances Two. Right. Very good, well-taken goals from Saudi Arabia and one massive deflection for Australia's goals. So we have that to kind of factor in. The defense has played really well. They've probably given up one elite chance to opposing teams. Perhaps two if you count the Lissandro Martinez play that he had to make in this game. So that, I think, is a positive sign for Argentina going forward. They haven't been as clinical as they could have been, particularly a player like Lautaro Martinez. I think that's a player that they'll want to be able to try to get in, but it might be too late to get him going in this tournament. He might be kind of broken. That's a red flag. I feel about where I felt at the start of the tournament with Argentina. I don't think they are the most talented team. I don't think they're the most complete team, but I still think they can absolutely win the World Cup despite of that because they are not so far behind the teams that beat them on talent, that beat them on cohesiveness, and they have this energy about them that I am not seeing with any other team in Qatar. I agree with you completely. We could name the teams, right? Brazil and France yeah. are the two teams in their tier. I think we both agree they are better uh, yeah. overall on talent, depth, and cohesion. Um, I, I don't know about but just overall they're yeah, better yeah. than Argentina right yeah. now. Um, that being said, Argentina is clearly third and I like them better than England or Spain, who we both agree are fourth and fifth in our minds. Yep. Um, so yeah, we're in the same spot, but we like that they can win. And if they get to that semifinal with Brazil, you know, Brazil might be favored, but if Brazil doesn't have Neymar or Brazil just play the game, normally things can happen. And yeah. The messy effect, right, is hard to quantify, but that's something we are both putting stock into. Yeah, um, I think you have to. I think you have to, and that's part of this. So I'm with you. I, I don't really feel too differently about them. Uh, they've definitely been unlucky on all three of their goals. And if you look at Brazil and France, um, their back lines have generally played clean, fine, but yeah. I don't think there's 
too much of a difference between the back lines. I think for Argentina, the the biggest red flags for me are that teams are definitely frustrating them in open play, but Argentina are careful about the way they approach the game. And yes, they've counted on Messi, but they haven't yet had to go to the the last ditch gear. Not not, not the last ditch gear, but just in like, we haven't seen them really had to fire through because Messi has saved them twice and they were good value against Poland. They got through without really having to flex their muscles too hard. So I think that Argentina are fine. Let's see what happens next round. Um, they Argentina versus Netherlands is a really good game that we'll talk about when we get there. Yeah, I think one more quick point on Argentina. They didn't have Angel Di Maria today. I think that was that noticeable. Sure. I think mm-hmm. he helps them advance play really well, gives them an option on the wing. The fact that Argentina played today and now they don't have to play again until Friday, that is as long of a break as you're going to get at this World Cup. That is an extended time off. That could really help them, particularly if Angel Di Maria can get back. And Lionel Messi has played every minute of this tournament and is going to play every minute of this tournament. There is no scenario in which Lionel Messi is not going to play for Argentina. But having a bit of a time off where he could rest and recuperate is also going to be good. Quickly on Australia, Amit, I think they were a surprise team for me at this tournament. I was very impressed with what they were able to do. Uh, It's not just my Stoke City colors coming through. Harry Suter was really good at this tournament. They looked like the thing that they could do to trouble Argentina most was get set pieces and lob them into big guys. They weren't really able to do a lot of that today. They go out of this world cup, but I think they can go out with their heads held high for what we thought of them and the amassed talent that they had. This was a very successful tournament. It totally was. They, we thought they were maybe bottom three, bottom five, and they made it to the round of 16 and were a goal away at two chances away from taking Argentina to extra time. Were they lucky uh, in maybe all of their games? Sure, but I think they were very committed and their manager did a really good job of putting the right changes. This game against Argentina could have been 2-3-4-0 before, before Argentina, Australia had a chance. Yes, the deflection to get them to 2-1 was lucky, but it could have been worse. It could have been worse before that. And it, yes, where the, did Lautaro's finishing, like keep them at 2-1 sure but they were also good value to get out of their group we, yep. we've talked about that so very impressive run for them I think you'll see some of these guys are going to have big moves for them in the future yeah will it be flash in the pan was this four games like too good but maybe we were all undervaluing their talent so Harry Shooter is going to be gone from Stoke very quickly I think um, yeah I don't know which big English club in the Premier League is going to pay, you know, 20, 25 million to get him out of Stoke City, but he showed himself to be at a much higher right. level than the Agreed. 15th best team in the championship, which is right. apparently what we are these days. All right, Amit, U.S. Men's National Team 1, Netherlands 3. I think this game comes down to a lot of things, and we're going to dig deep into it. We're going to get into all of them. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest takeaway is that Netherlands scored three goals in this game. And all three of them came at incredibly inopportune times for the United States. That's a good way to put it. They also came off three defensive mistakes, particularly bad mistakes. And on the whole, the U.S. played generally the level we expect from them. They were good. They were up for the game. They 
in the end had more XG than the Netherlands, who put up three goals. It was like 1.8 to 1.6. That's affected by game state. But the point is, like, the first Pulisic chance was a really good chance. Yeah. They didn't take it. And the Netherlands had two on XG half-ish chances, and they finished them well. But those half-ish chances were part of really bad defensive mistakes and really smart play from the Netherlands. So let's start with the let's start with the Pulisic chance. I think I texted you right after that happened. I said that was certainly a chance, and it might have been the chance. And it was such a weird play because it happened so fast at the start, and it looked like he was blatantly offside. And he even said, I was pretty sure I was offside. And I think that probably played a role in the level of the finish that we got. We saw in the replay, he was assuredly not offside. And the finish was not as good as it should have been. And in these moments, in these games, at these levels, with that player, has to be a goal. Has to. It has to be. You, that's how you pull an upset at the World Cup. Um, and then... What you said about the goals coming at inopportune times is a very good point because this U.S. team is built to play at 0-0 at maybe down one, up one, sure. But once they were down one already, the Netherlands were able to fully lean into their game plan, which Louis Van Hall had set out very well from the start. This was a well-managed game for him. And had the first goal gone in, Maybe we're not saying that, but the way the game played out, it's hard not to look at what Louis Van Hall did and be like, he got it wrong. He was excellent. And what he did, Netherlands always play the five in the back, but they let the U.S. have the ball and use that as a weapon against them. They said, let you try to pick us apart with the ball. We don't think you're good enough. We're also going to man mark you. So if you make mistakes, we're immediately getting in transition the other way. And we're just going to have numbers advantage. And then we're going to have width advantages. And that's why Dumfries, their right back, was really good today. Because in a back five, he was out wide. And Anthony Robinson was sucked in. And the Netherlands in transition were lethal. And then on that first goal, that's on Tyler Adams and Yunus Musa, who were really good all tournament. But you got to track the runners. And then on the second goal... The whole team fell asleep, and that's yeah. the most inopportune, yeah. right? Let's the first goal, yes, mistakes. U.S. also a brilliant sequence of play from yeah. the Netherlands. Yes, twenty Liquid passes yeah. started from the back. We say his name now, Frankie De Jong. So yeah. good, he is so good. And part of our later points is about the talent level. Frankie De Jong yeah. was the most talented player on the field today, and he was that good. Yeah. Second goal, however, is a throw-in with, what, a minute left? Yeah. And we were saying the U.S. needs to get in at 1-0. Greg can make his adjustments. He can bring on his subs. They can figure out how to do this. Going down two was just such a psychological blow. And I think they thought, like, this is a throw-in. This isn't dangerous. And then Serginho Dest was just napping. He was really good today offensively. But he didn't track the run. uh, And it was really well taken from Daily Blind who yeah. was mostly getting worked the other way. But, yeah, that's a veteran play, is to just recognize my defender's asleep, I'm going to cut in and score. And two good finishes too, right? Those aren't easy chances. They well, made them look a lot easier than they were, the Netherlands. Yeah, but also, like, 
those are the high quality finishes you expect from a talented team. And those right. are the chances you can't give to a team that is at a higher level than you are. And we That's saw a very good point. the difference between the U.S. and the Netherlands. And in order to make that difference not matter, you can't give them those sorts of chances in those sorts of situations because they will make you pay. And I think you made a great point. Van, Gaal, Van Hall was a really good manager today because he got his game plan spot on. And yeah, maybe that changes. We haven't had to see the Netherlands chase a game at any point in this tournament yet. They have played four games and at no point in any of the four games have they had to go look for a game. And so had the U.S. been able to score early, that completely changes it because now Netherlands is a team that has to look for the goal. Their game plan, particularly in the first half and kind of in the first 15 minutes of the second half, was they said... Walker Zimmerman, you pick out a pass. You are an MLS center back who can defend, and you play for Nashville SC. If you can break us down with an efficient pass, so be it. And that was their game plan, and the U.S. just had nothing. There was no pass for Walker Zimmerman to make, and he's not skilled enough to make anything on his own. And that was what the Netherlands did, and that just threw a wrench in the entire U.S. attack, and they could never get going. Totally. Uh, They asked the U.S. to build out of the back, and... Greg has built his team to do it, but their overall strength, while I think technically the U.S. is be- the best it's ever been, yep, that's not Walker Zimmerman. No. And should they have? Should Greg have started CCV again? Maybe. And we could talk about this as well. Did the U.S. miss a Chris Richards? Did mm. they miss a John Brooks, who was not in the picture for reasons we don't fully understand? But yeah, the U.S. center backs is one of their unfortunately weakest positions. And I, I like Walker Zimmerman. He's a good defender. That's why he's in the squad. But ball playing is at this level, at this level is not his strength. So yeah. credit credit to Van Hall for, for getting that one spot on. So then the U.S. start to make some changes, right? We see Giovanni Reina, the, the, the guy, the Yeti of U.S. soccer at this World Cup, right? We hadn't seen him at all. Comes on, the U.S. kind of starts to make a game out of it. Jesus Ferreira, who started this game, didn't really have it. Haji Wright comes on in the second half, wastes one good chance where he tries to round the keeper and just hit the X button way too hard. No, this this is exactly why that Julian Alvarez finish is good. Because Julian Alvarez is maybe taking that first time or a quick touch and shot. That first touch from Haji Wright when he rounds the keeper is horrible. He took away his own angle. Okay. And then Haji Wright either gets incredibly lucky or is incredibly good and scores a goal to get the U.S. back in the game at 2-1. Which one was it, Amit? I think you simply cannot uh, think about bouncing the ball with, like, insane (laughs) backspin off the turf. I I think, like, so I played tennis today. Like, I don't think, like, Roger Federer could imagine that spin (laughs) off of that contact. I don't know how that worked. You that know was who could have truly though? sublime. Haji you know Wright. Which, made... You know which tennis player could have? Let's hear it. That's a Nick Kyrgios shot right there, man. Oh yeah, Nick Kyrgios <laughs> spitting it like a mad. What a what a silly, stupid finish from Haji yeah. Wright. But yeah. okay, good run, sure. And he really had to spit it up to get it over the six-seven yeah. keeper. <laughs> so that goes in. The U.S. is back at two-one, and there's 15 minutes to play, and it's like, all right, this is what you want, right? This was the situation that they threw away right before halftime, which was down a goal chasing the game late, which is a situation that you can adjust for. So down a goal chasing a game late, and the U.S. fall asleep again. 
And for the third time in this game, they give up a goal at the exact wrong time. The entire defense gets sucked to the penalty spot. And Denzel Dumfries has about 10 seconds to just stand on the far side of the box like, hey, I am wide open over here. You should pass the ball to me. And they did. It was a great ball in and it was a great finish. And Anthony Robinson is left looking over his shoulder at the penalty spot, pretty much glued to the U.S. center back. And you can't give up that goal. And you certainly can't give up that goal in that style at that moment. Yes. As you said, inopportune timing. That's right when the U.S. had gotten back into it. And there's no really other way around it. It's terrible marking. You just have to look over your shoulder there. Um, and then from yeah. there, I mean, that was it. The U.S. huffed and puffed, but nothing really. You're down two. That was pretty deflating. Yeah, it's game over. And that's game over. So I think to start, you know, on the whole game and using that play as an example, I think the mental and physical fatigue for the United States are intertwined. And part of the bell curve outcome, part of what it is, is that the U.S. had to scrap and claw their way to get past Iran. It took everything in that game. And the Netherlands in game three were rotated against Qatar and had a stroll about. Yeah. And that mattered. Because even by the end, yes, Netherlands' legs were, were t- dead too. Like, it was yeah. stretched. The U.S. at 2-1 was like, oh, there's a real chance here. But... The U.S.'s midfield, which is their best part, Adams, McKenney, Musa, were slightly neutered today yep. because their legs were not as good. And that's maybe you see that on the tracking back goal. Anthony yep. Robinson has been so good for the United States. He really has. He just goes up and down and up and down. And when you've just done that that many times, you're standing there and you're like, this guy again, he's been out wide all game. I and he just he didn't look. He you can yeah. see the replay. He never looks back. And on the replay, it's like terrible as the viewer in slow motion. Yeah. Because the second the it hap- the ball's on this left side, you're like, oh no, he's wide open. He puts his hands up. He says, Hey, like you said, I'm over here. Yeah. And then it doesn't come immediately. He's still open. I know. He never looks. And then the to cross happens a second later. And then he's and he finishes. It's so almost like, like Demfries was was sheepish about it. He was like, "Yeah, if he's I like, make too much of a scene here. They're gonna come get me. I gotta <laughs> like, I gotta like, kind of like give me the ball." And you got the yeah. ball. I think that yeah, the fatigue played a role here, and not in the fact that the legs were just gone, but the U.S. was a step slow today, and against a team at the level of the Netherlands, that costs you. Right, and that's the U.S.'s strength is that they yeah. win. 50-50s, first balls, and particularly second balls, that's how they dominate the midfield. That's how they create chances. They send the ball in the back line and then win the second ball, and they're 30 yards from goal. And then in this game, the Netherlands man-marked them and then was like, okay, you try to impose the will on us with the ball, and then when you lose it, have fun chasing us. Uh, It was really good, and yeah, the legs mattered. And then also, you know, the number nine issue. Yep. Right, we talked about the center back, the number nine issue. Uh, they brought three strikers, and in a twenty-six man squad, when you had Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, Shaq Moore, Luca De La Torre, pick, yeah, Luca De La Torre, it it turned out that the U.S. did not rotate at all. They just yep. played their guys the whole way, and they probably needed to. And that's part of the reason why they are the fifteenth, sixteenth, right whatever best team in the world and why the Netherlands are seventh or eighth, because I don't, you know, we're not going to talk about the Netherlands depth. I'm sure it's good to find, but the U S's depth, it turns out is just not as good. They wanted yeah. to roll with maybe 12 to 13 players this whole way. 
if you include Aronson and Reyna when he finally came on. Yeah, but, I think that was on display today. There so, wasn't anywhere for the U.S. to turn. Like, it wasn't right. like we can put this, like, yeah, that's, and that's our midfield because it's our midfield. Right. And my point in all of that bundled up is, so if you're not rotating and you don't have that many guys that you count on, you need more options to change the game. And I just struggle. I, I know PFOC, maybe he isn't that much better than Haji Wright. Ricardo Pepe maybe isn't. But when you have three strikers, and I know you're doing the Brandon Vasquez. I'm doing the Brandon Vasquez. No, I mean, it's it's fair. It's I mean, at this point, it's all fair, right? Yeah. But when Sargent, who has been the best, was hurt, and Haji Wright scored the Nick Kyrgios spin shot is his only goal, and clearly was missing two of the great, uh, two really open chances otherwise, then you have to start Ferreira. And Ferreira, yeah. I think Henry Bushnell was actually extremely prescient about him. He is really good at doing some things, but at this level, the things he does well don't translate as well, yeah. right? To his false nine, to his cutting in, to getting on the ball. He just was unavailable for most of the game. And that, so that's a Greg squad failure, I think. And then also a U.S. men's national team player pool, right? Yeah, I to, think it's more a player pool. Like, yeah, it's we not can a, say it's, like, yeah. it's not like you don't put... It's not a Chicharito-like thing with Mexico where you put Chicharito in that squad and they are objectively better. Like, I could scream. None of these other players are fixing it. Yeah, like, maybe it's a different outcome, but it's not clearly better. So, we take all of that and we kind of pour it all together. This is still a generally successful tournament for the U.S., right? Because they met their main objective, which was to get out of the group. And all of those young players got experience. And they got super valuable experience. And you could tell... It hurt them to go out of the World Cup because obviously, because it's the World Cup and that will probably make them better in 2026, four years from now. Yes, I agree. We talked about, we we deliberated for a long time, what's the right expectation for this team? And it was get out of the group. We said, there's a chance they could knock it out of the group. Clearly almost happened. There's a chance they could beat the Netherlands. We said yesterday, the Netherlands are ripe for an upset. I think all of those things were true. But yeah. at the same time, in the end, this was the most likely outcome, and it happened. They met their expectations. So overall success. I think I want to call someone out here, not yeah. like personally or anything. Pablo Maurer is MLSist on Twitter. He's an athletic writer. He's very good. He's very good. I actually like him a lot. What he said is the U.S. needs to stop having this expectation that getting dumped in the round of 16 is successful because then otherwise they'll never be better. It should be higher. And I get that. I certainly think in 2026, the expectation will be better. But my counter to that is the United States men's, the United States men's national team is not a top eight team in the world. Right. How can you not, how can you, your expectation to make a quarterfinal, a semifinal, when on talent, you're not as good as those top teams. And then his next point to that, he said, this has been the goal for the U.S. for the past 30 years. Shouldn't it change? And I say to that, do you know how much footballing infrastructure the top eight teams in the world have the U S has been chipping away at this for 30 years and it's come in fits and starts because they haven't had their development pipelines, right? They haven't had their scouting, right? This team is the best U S men's national team they've ever had. And they still were the less talented team against the seventh or eighth best team in the world. So like you can't come and say that like the expectation should to be to make a quarterfinal. End of rant. And he was being inflammatory because he's 
an American writer who's not a fan of the team, and that's fine for him. And he should he's allowed to have that take. And that I'm just saying that like this was a success for the men's national team. And yeah. I know as an American who maybe doesn't like soccer, you're probably not listening to this podcast. It's great to think otherwise, but like this is what happens when you go to the World Cup and play a good team. Yeah. Also, when was the last time Mexico got out of the round of 16? Right? right. Like, the margins are so fine that unless you are one of the very, very elite teams at the international level, getting to a World Cup quarterfinal is a massive success, right? Unless you are Brazil, Argentina, France, probably England and Spain, and maybe you throw Portugal in there. Like, it should be Germany too, but yeah, they, yeah, like that's why it's a massive failure for them. But yeah. go ahead. Well, like, look, that's already yeah. seven teams, yeah, right? No. Who's who's ex who like you expect to be in a World Cup quarter? There's just simply not a lot of spots in the World Cup quarterfinals. Only eight teams can make it, and you have to have the right combination of everything to get there. And so, I don't think it's an objective failure that the U.S. hasn't gotten there. I think 2026 was always the bigger goal for this team, right? And that doesn't. World Cups only come every four years. You have to take the opportunities that are put in front of you. I think the U.S. did perfectly fine at this World Cup. I think today they learned valuable lessons, which was we either A, have to get on the level of talent of these teams, or B, we have to be, you know, to the 98th percent of our game in order to beat these teams. Because against a team that everybody thought was beatable, the U.S., got beat because they made three very bad, very untimely mistakes that the other team who is significantly more talented punished. That's the story. That's exactly. The game in a it's exactly the story. And I know the U S men's national team, like on paper is closer to the Netherlands than it ever has been. And this game was closer on talent. And the, the XG tells you that what we understood told you that, but Netherlands have Frankie de Jong, who is yep. not Serginho Dest at Barcelona, who had to leave to AC Milan. He is their best center midfielder other than the Wonder Boys. They have Virgil van Dijk, who two years ago was the best defender in the world. They have Nathan Ake at Manchester City, right? They have Cody Gakpo, who's about to get sold for like $80 million to a Premier League side, right? Like, Sturvey, like, and then it goes from there, right? Memphis Depay is a class striker, and he showed it on that finish. Daily Blind, like... Is he in the Eredivisie? Sure, but Daley Blind has been a top-level... He was at Manchester United in his prime in the middle of the 2010s. Like, I know the U.S. men's national team has all these players at good clubs, and I bet you by 2026, they'll be better and all at better clubs. Like, part of the answer is yes, they can close the talent gap. But, like, the Netherlands are very good. They're very good. And I don't think anyone's ignoring that. But it was clear today, the golf and talent just on like the biggest plays of the game. And like, it just like played itself out. Everything that we kind of thought kind of happened, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the XG was even, but it also kind of shows the flaw in XG because when you have supremely talented players, you don't need to create as much XG for them to be as effective. Right. And well, yeah. So, yeah, maybe the cutback to Memphis Depay is only 0.3, but with that player in that spot, it's a better chance than it looks like on paper. Totally. And the way those finishes were taken tells yeah. you about them. Yeah. All and of to, those were really assured finishes. Yeah. And and kind of to close this out to the talent point with all due respect and everything that you pointed out, 
the U.S. trotted out a 35-year-old player on a Premier League relegation candidate and an MLS center back in defense, and they had a number nine who very clearly couldn't cut it at this level. And that is the difference, right? And yes, 100%. in order to make up for those sorts of things, you have to be that much better everywhere else, or you have to be that effective, that on your game. You can't make the sort of mistakes that they made today. Right. If the whole team was as good as the United States midfield, yeah, they'd be the 10th best team in the world. Like they're just, they're not, it's not all the way there and there's time to get there. But yeah. the, those two positions in particular, and then you look at the Netherlands, what they have and yeah. there's in Cody Gakpo and their center backs, it's night and day. So yeah. we're on the same page. All right. Last question on the U S men's national team before we move on and we preview what's to come. Greg Berhalter, should he be the manager going forward for USA? I know this is a question that you've struggled with. This is a question that you've... Yeah, I really don't don't know the answer. I'd be fine either way. I know that's, like, not the right... I don't know. That's fine. It's a cop-out. But, like, he showed he is a good manager at this level. He is clearly good with the players. He is good at getting the tactics right for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I think people think, like, well, we need to maximize our talent, right? We need to hit that 98th percentile of our game more often and qualifying was qualifying greg got through barely but like look at how hard it was the last time so yeah he passed that test he also passed... they didn't get through barely they got through no fine. they got through like, comfortably yeah so, like yeah it was just a whole deal because of what happened the last the u.s was perfectly fine in qualifying yes, they were they met expectations and they did exactly what they needed yeah. to do to not be put in a pressure pack situation right and then he met expectations at this world cup he passed yeah. the test so like he has clear flaws, right? Mm-hmm. He maybe is not the best adjuster in game. Maybe his squad selection, maybe he wants his team to play too much like a club team because that's his background. And then, but what people are asking for is let's get someone who maximizes their talent. People want this team to be a top eight team in the world. I don't who? think Greg Berhalter is preventing them from yeah. that. I also, think he who? could get them there. Yeah, that's, and that's my answer. Who is going to come in in the next four years and be better? And maybe they can. Is the U.S. going to hire someone that's not an American? And then my question is, who are you getting? There are plenty of great managers, but who's going to come in and do it? And if it is an American, there's like two candidates, in my opinion. You can get Jesse Marsh. You can get Jim Curtin. Yeah. (laughs) Like – yeah, or I don't think you're getting Steve Trundolo. I know LAFC won, but he's not there yet. Like those are the two best other American managers. Michael Bradley and Bruce Arena aren't coming back. Sorry, like <laughs> that they've done it. They've done that. No, like those are the next two best American managers. They're not doing yeah. that again. So if it's not an American, like I don't think the U.S. is going to get a Latin American or Spanish manager or South yeah. American manager. Like I don't think that's their DNA. Like. They don't. I don't think they want that optically, even if there are plenty of good ones who have had success in the states. So, I I don't have a list now, but I I struggle. Like, who's gonna come in and do better? And I get it, right? Maybe you just want fresh people. Yeah. So I think this is where it's it's super interesting for me because I think I think Greg Berhalter is a perfectly acceptable manager for the U.S. Men's National Team. And I think it's really hard to make this decision right now because you have four years until your next big 
your next big task, right? Like the U.S. will play Gold Cup. The U.S. I would think will probably be involved in the 2024 Copa America should they want to be, should they choose to be. So that leaves the question of, do you move on from Burhalter now and start building towards 2026? Whatever is done now has to be done with an eye towards 2026. Or do you give Burhalter more time while also understanding the risk that if you pull the plug later on, whoever you bring in will have less time to mold the squad towards 2026. The U.S. won't have a qualification cycle ahead of that World Cup. They will be automatically qualified. That will obviously make things a lot different, and they'll be scrambling around playing low-quality friendlies for that entire time instead of being challenged in Central America playing teams like – like you're going to see a whole lot of U.S.-Mexico and U.S.-Canada games that don't matter before 2026 because those teams are all going to be free. So I don't know what the answer to the question is. I really don't. And I think it's, it's interesting. I don't think Burhalter knows the answer to the question either. I agree with you. It's really tricky whether you want the four years with the new guy, you wait two years, but then are you hurting yourself by giving two years to maybe someone else? Or do you just say Greg has the whole four years? Yeah. And very tricky. I don't think either of us have the answer. I think there are no wrong answers here. It's hard. Yeah. And my last point on this is that Greg had to bring a team out of the dark that yeah. had not qualified. Whether it's Greg or whether it's someone else. I went this... to Dave Sarachin's mind yes. house. Yeah, not a fun did. place. Not, not a fun, fun place. place. Whoever, whether it's Greg or someone else, it's not like they have to figure out who's in the squad. 80% yeah. of this team, barring injuries, is the same team you can roll out. Um at 2026, which is a really good thing. This should be an yeah. attractive job for whoever it is, whether it's Greg or not. So I think our long answer is we don't know. I think Greg is fine, but if they get rid of him or it's mutual, we'd under, we understand, yeah. but it's not as cut and dry as Greg out. I think we're both on that. Yeah. All right. We went on a very long time, but I think it was good about the U S men's national team. Quick programming note. We are not going to record tomorrow on Sunday. It has been a lot of straight podcasting days. Only two games on Sunday. So we're going to take Sunday off and we will wrap up Sunday and Monday after Monday's game. So that means that we have four games to preview because we're going to preview the Sunday games and we're going to preview the Monday game. Luckily for us, the Sunday games are pretty easy to preview. It's France-Poland. What do we expect to happen in this game? France are going to dominate. Poland are bad and should probably get out of our tournament. Yeah, we've said the same things about these two teams many times. And if you'd like to hear us say them again, here you go. France is very good. Uh, They have almost no weaknesses. They've been playing at a very high style. They've been playing attacking football. Mbappe is awesome. And they've been just good up and down the pitch. Poland are very bad, boring, and dull. But they know that, and they will do their best to protect themselves. And they have Robert Lewandowski. Um, Poland just are, frankly, not that good. Uh, They played Argentina, and it was... A very bad performance. Argentina put up their best performance of the tournament, their best attacking performance against a Poland team that was set in. And it's hard to uh, reason why France won't do the same. This takes a lot of luck both ways. France need to be misfiring and Poland needs what Argentina saw today from Australia and then some, right? Wojciech Chesney has to be really, really good. That's yes, which, one. He, which he's been awesome. Yep. He has been awesome. 
Lewandowski probably needs to take a chance at some point and come up with something that is a low quality chance that he scored, which he hasn't necessarily shown himself to be capable to do at this World Cup. Yes, his only goal came off. Quality chances. Yeah, he gets no chances. It's a mismatch. It's a mismatch. Other game: England against Senegal. This game screams for an early Senegal goal. This game becomes dramatically more interesting if Senegal can put the ball in the back of the net in the first 15 to 20 minutes. If they can't, we know what we're going to get because it's exactly what England did for three games of the group stage. Even if one of those games was a 6-2 romp, they are going to be on the ball. They are not going to be super incisive. They are going to protect themselves against all costs. And eventually they are going to wear down Senegal and or force Senegal into a moment where they attempt to play. They will pounce, they will score, and then they will retreat. Senegal need to score early for this to become anything more interesting. Yes, because also the longer it goes on, England's control tightens. Because, well, we say this a lot about England. They don't commit to the attack. They protect themselves. It doesn't mean they don't attack. They do, and they know how to work you methodically into areas by setting up sequences to get their wingers in dangerous spots and then their lethal on set pieces. And it's hard to stop that the whole game, but it's just like they're not as attacking as they could be. This needs Senegal needs to be opportunistic. Senegal has about 30 minutes of pressing in them, probably two 15 minute stretches in either half. They need to use them well, and they really need to get a goal out of one of those stretches because if they don't, it's just asking a lot of them to defend. And look, Senegal played Netherlands really well. And we are now aware of Netherlands quality. We have always been aware of England's quality. And Senegal had the right game plan. And then what ended up happening was Cody Gakpo Golazo. Like, The other part, and this is exactly what you've talked about, is that even if the Senegal game plan goes well, even if England don't commit too much, if the low-quality chances will happen to England, they have more guys that can just score one of them, right? Kane hasn't got off the mark. That could happen on a set-piece or Golazo. Marcus Rashford could score a 30-yard free kick. Like, England has the talent mismatch here, particularly in attack, but England's back line susceptible if Senegal want to press. And if it's only 1-0 into the 70th minute, you're just seeing it doesn't matter who it is. If you're down one in a World Cup game, you can brute force your way into making it interesting Yeah, until I mean, the other team what, scores the second. Yeah, that's what Australia did. The U.S. was able to do that, even though they were down two goals. Every team can be vaguely threatening for 15 or 20 minutes, right? And so if England choose to let Senegal hang around and it gets to that point, it could get interesting. It's the same thing with France-Poland, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if Poland can be threatening for 15, 20 minutes. But they theoretically should be able to go for it if they are within a goal with 15, 20 minutes to go. So those are the two things to watch for in that game. Monday, admit, we've got two really good games, I think. Japan-Croatia starts it. This is a very good, and it's the first evenly matched round of 16 game. Evenly matched in that I think these are two talented teams. That does not mean I think the possession will be even. Japan have shown that they don't need the ball to be successful. And I think Croatia have the midfield in order to dominate possession. That's how this game will go. And the question will then turn into who finishes chances. Spot on. It's time. 50 minutes in. 538 probability. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Japan 46, Croatia 54. That's a coin flip. And the other games are not that. Yes. England is at 70, 
Brazil's at 83, France is at 81. That shows you this is a really good game between two very good teams. And as you said, just because they're two good teams doesn't mean that Croatia won't have the ball. Uh, this is a very good tactical battle between Croatia's control and yep. their interest in committing forward and respecting Japan's press. Japan will not press the whole game, but they've got maybe more than 15, 30 minutes. They can maybe do it for a half and they're never out of it. That's what also right. makes it hard. So this is going to be good from start to finish. And like you said, finishing matters, right? Japan have been lucky on their finishes The against Germany, right? The second goal against Manuel Neuer probably should have been saved against Spain. The first goal really should have been saved yep. by Unai Simon. And the second goal was the, the VAR controversy was that ball yep. out of bounds. So, okay. Japan have been lucky. It doesn't matter. They can still create chances comes down to finishing. This is a big game for Kramerich for Croatia. Yep. He was good in one game. Um, and he has been kind of quiet. And then Croatia's midfielders have been awesome. And I think if you're just going on balance of talent, Japan are not underrated at this point. Everyone on their team is actually yeah. quite good. But Croatia have the best player on the field in Luka Modric. And he has been that player for them in their two knockout runs. He is capable of scoring a Golazo. He is capable of playing the perfect pass. So... That's why Croatia is very slightly favored. I, I think, couldn't tell you what's going to happen, but that all makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how Japan start this game. Because in their two games against teams that are, quote-unquote, more talented, which I think Croatia technically are. I don't know if they're more talented. But against the teams where Japan don't expect to have the ball, i.e. not Costa Rica, they have not started well. They were down in the first half against Germany. They were down in the first half against Spain. So do they choose to play that kind of style here against Croatia, the style that got them down in both those first half? Or do we see them kind of try to start on the pressing front foot forward like they didn't do in those two games against Croatia with the risk perhaps being that you don't maybe have legs at the end of the game and into a potential extra time, which obviously is is something that could be on the cards here. So super interesting tactical battle, a game I'm really looking forward to. Last game, Amit, Brazil, South Korea, Can Brazil bounce back from whatever that Cameroon game was? And can South Korea kind of build on what they were able to do against Portugal against an even more talented team in Brazil? Right. This is a really fun game because South Korea, their defense is very good. I know Ghana put three past them, but they're generally very organized. I know Portugal scored against them too. And then Brazil, without Neymar, are still good, and they have game-breaking talent on the wings. Um, they're just a little... It, it takes it takes a little more for them to get their yeah. chances. They're missing Neymar's chance creation. So... Can he play? Can, That's question number one, he, obviously. Can he play? If he does, obviously that helps them. But Brazil will be bounced back for sure. That, that game yeah. you, I'm kind of willing to write off. It's just a question of if South Korea can escape 20 minutes, 30 minutes, a half... Even if Brazil score, can they still stay bunkered in? South Korea will not chase this game until they are down two or there are 10 minutes to go. Yeah. And even against Portugal, right, when they needed a goal, they were able to create, but their goal came on a counterattack, right? Yeah. That's their best chance. And this is a really interesting matchup for Brazil's outside backs, whether yeah. it's Alex Sandro, um, who's, their, who's their other side? Danilo? 
Yeah, Danilo. Billy Tao. Yeah. Either way, probably their left back here, Danilo, is really interesting to see how Brazil handle Youngman's son because you just have to be aware of him at all times. He is that good. He is their best chance. They need him to do something sublime again to have a chance, maybe twice to have a chance. And um, look, Brazil's central defensive midfielder, whether it's Casemiro or Fabinho, it's going to be hard for South Korea to just do anything. Brazil suffocated Serbia and Switzerland. And those two teams are very good attacking teams. So it's not like Korea is going to be able to create a ton in this game. I just don't see it. They're going to need to take advantage of Brazil being stretched out. And Brazil will not stretch themselves out unless it is dire. Yeah, and it goes without saying, but Korea have to be clinical. You are going to get two and a half chances. One will probably be good, and everything else will be half chances. And you have to take them. That's just, that's the only way you're going to win this match is if you take those few chances you get. Correct. And I'm sure Korea will have belief, and it will grow, as I said. This is interesting if Brazil can get one early and kind of... Not, not. There's no such thing as cruise control, but just be in a better game well, state so that they like. That is Brazil's desired style. This is what we saw from them so many times in qualification. They score early. They press you hard. They come out fast. They get a goal on the board in the first 15 minutes, and then they just say, break us down, and you right. can't. And eventually, at some point, they get another, and they win 2-0. And it's not free-flowing Samba football. It's not Pele. No, but it is ridiculously effective, and it is extremely hard to beat. And I think this game screams out for something like that for Brazil. Early goal, control, late goal, see you in the quarterfinals. Exactly. It's hard to imagine it going another way. It's going to take some heroic defending and saves and – Maybe if Brazil have a bad day finishing, but even if their number nine isn't working, their wingers are so good too. Yeah, and that's what we've seen from them. They haven't necessarily been firing on all cylinders in attack so far in this tournament, but they have found goals because they are relentless and it is so difficult to keep them out of the goal for 90 minutes. And that's Brazil. And that's what makes them so good. And that's why they're among the favorites at this tournament. This was a good show today. This was fun. We got into a lot. I'm sorry that the USA are done. I'm sorry we don't get the Argentina-USA matchup. I was really looking forward to that possibility. But Argentina-Netherlands will certainly be fun. We've got good games coming up. We will see you guys on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the fun. And hopefully Senegal score early to at least give us something to watch on Sunday afternoon. Thanks for listening as always. We'll catch you guys soon.